Which is the feeding mechanism for human trafficking, right? Is the majority of women that we interact with that are become trafficked. They didn't just wake up one day, they had a bad grade on a geometry test and decided coming out of high school they wanted to be a prostitute. It typically starts with only with, with, <laughs> Sorry. What was <laughs> Is that not where you're going with it? <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> we didn't kill them. Probably blame me for being an idiot, but and which you were, which we all were. <laughs> you have to make it to where crime doesn't pay. You have to deter crime, whether it's crime or terrorism. It's the same principle. You have to clash with supervision. You have to, or nothing will get done. Supervisors can't learn how to supervise, and you can't learn how to respect a supervisor without confrontation. It has to happen. <laughs> Do not take that out. JV team for life. What's up, everybody? Just want to give a quick shout-out to Zero Nine Holsters. These guys are cop-owned, cop-operated, cop-tested, all right? Based out of Ohio, um, they have gear for everything, holsters, equipment. I use them for magazines, radio. They have everything. So you can either order online through them, or you can go on their website and find who sells them in their shops in case you're one of those people that wants to go and physically look at it. On this podcast, we talk about real important issues in our culture um it's hard to do sometimes uh you know and a, and a lot of people don't support us and don't want these messages out there zero nine holsters supports us 100 percent. they agree with everything they that we say and they're like we're down let's do it so by supporting them you're supporting us and uh so if you buy holsters or you know you need equipment holders radio anything you need Go to zero nine holsters, right? And when you check out, use promo code antihero ten z nine, antihero ten z nine. That'll get you ten percent off your order. So go show them some love. Thanks, guys. Robert, Robert, Robert Mott, Robert Mott. We're getting there. Give me a second. Let me light this thing. Does the cigar help out with the vocal cords? It does. It does. As soon as I start smoking it, I turned into Jocko. Good, good. Yeah, that guy. You save kids? Good. You don't save some kids? Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was a, pretty dark. A pedo got away. <laughs> good. You ready? I'm getting ready. Don't. don't I, rush I got the light. like I got like 20 seconds to talk don't, before you don't, talk. Don't rush the light, <laughs> dude. When I did the ABC News interview in Ukraine. Like I'd never been on international TV before, and dude. My buddy, some of my buddies were sending me texts just like, after they saw it. oh my God, they're like, really, bro? Oh, like, like, I was like, they're not just lives. They're, you, you know, they're not just Ukrainian lives. They're lives. Oh. And like, that's all anybody focused on. Don't. I'm like, dude, my point is they're still human beings. Yeah, yeah. Don't go back and watch this podcast. You'll hate everything you say and how you say it. And don't go watch the comments because there's nothing good. R- rarely, rarely good. On the, the only comments you'll remember are the comments of people making fun of I don't of read you. any comments. And there will I be no sh- There will be no shortage of of that oh really just people talk shit just, oh, oh yeah. shitting all over lots of support but i don't know the yeah. algorithm knows to put the negative ones right on the top where i can <laughs> see them and i'm just like you know what i'm not gonna that's funny all right you ready you want to get that thing you want to get that no, thing i'll going? do it while you're going all right all right welcome back to the anti-hero podcast part delta force part street cop all podcast i'm your host tyler owner of refracted wolf apparel all american outsider apparel Use promo code ANTIHERO for 15% off graphic tees, ranger panties, and we got a new restock, small through triple X, this one included. So if you ever went on the site and we didn't have your size, we do now. 
And I'm Brent Tucker, owner of First Bonner's Coffee Company and Cigar Company. And I want to let you guys know we have a brand new cigar line out, our Delta Series. It is what I'll be smoking this episode. They're amazing. Go try them out. Use FRCC 15. You get 15% off of the world's best cigars. I'll smoke something else on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, and we have a Delta Limited that I'm only going to show you on Patreon. It's probably the world's coolest cigar. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I was making a joke, but he's dead serious. Yeah, dead serious. With us today is a friend of mine, Rob Mott. Rob Mott is a former 160th crew chief, uh, 160th SOAR. You know exactly how much I love those guys. Uh, and you've you've worked with my old crew in the past, and the the relationship there is is amazing and always will be for the things you guys do for us. Besides that, you're also the uh, owner, partner owner of Velocity Training, which is a tier one cadre uh, training company that trains basically all of SOCOM. And you are also the founder, CEO, and volunteer of a nonprofit, Dark Horse Benefits. Rob, thanks so much for coming out and giving us your time. Thanks, man. Uh, so I, I met Rob. Uh, you gave me my first job out of the military, as I'm sure you're very aware of. Uh, I was your program manager for for several years uh, as a uh, program manager and cadre. And uh, I want to thank you for giving my first job. And you know, it's it's a weird time when you're when you're retiring and you don't really know what's next. And uh, I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. It's good to have you. What uh, let's talk about velocity just just for a second. Uh, obviously, I, I I could talk about it because I was a program manager and, and know a lot of the things we did there. But I'll I'll, I'll let you uh, talk about it and everything you've done since since I've left. You guys do. I said train basically all of SOCOM. I think you have trained all of SOCOM. We have. I think it, we've probably got past performance uh, with each of the major commands out of SOCOM, and we try to be. Uh, I think a differentiator is probably being silent professionals uh, with the training we do for. You know, active and guard and reserve special forces or special operations troops is, uh, you know, not having any of the Instagram or social media type pages out there that give away where you train, what you do, and how you do it. Um, so I think that's been a bit of a, a difference. But having uh, you know, tier one instructors from both your old command and the Navy and uh, and from the Air Force side has really helped out with, you know, transferring that knowledge from, you know, more experienced guys that are they're getting out and retiring to uh to the younger guys coming in oh yeah and i think now with wars going away and that experience going away that type of training from tier one cadre is is more relevant than ever because we you know we have guys on teams on on white soft that have never deployed to to combat or if they did deploy they didn't get in those combat scenarios that we used to be in and so your cadre you know are there and get to like you said transfer that knowledge you guys have done. You guys have done free fall courses. Yep, free fall, CQB, long distance engagement, uh, a lot of med- a lot of tactical medicine. Um, you know, a lot of mission planning, uh, explosive breaching, and such. So I think pretty much all the legacy tasks and training. And I think that has been uh, with our experiences on the dark horse side in Ukraine. I think has been, uh, you know. What you've said is is very true. I think a lot of people thought that the near peer fight, there wouldn't be as much room for the basic fundamentals of soldiering, of shoot, move, and communicate, because technology would take over. But as everyone's seeing in Ukraine right now, that, yep, electronic warfare and drone warfare and cyber operations are definitely a major component, but shoot, move, communicate 
are still the the you know the most important tasks. Yeah, let's if if you don't mind, I don't know what all you you, you can or can't get into because I know I know you did some great things uh, in Ukraine, but having that the the training cadre that you had to that you can pull from with your uh, velocity training also gives you quite a rolodex for when you guys decided hey we're going to get involved in Ukraine and head over and you use that same rolodex to take some heavy hitters with you to Ukraine you mind talking about Ukraine just a little bit and what you're involved in there yeah I mean it was a great as, experience. as dark horse yeah as dark horse it was a great experience you're right being able to take over um, special operations medics you know uh, seal medics 18 deltas. Um, you know, prior PJs and things was a, uh, that was a great opportunity to give back. I know that depending on what side of the aisle you fall on politically uh, for supporting either Ukraine or Israel, both areas that we've been to recently and still have dark horse teammates at is, you know, we really focused on the people, not the politics. And I think that we went into Ukraine um, just as, as you did, you know, just, you know, weeks after the war started, there were, uh, you know, there was no A-10s coming to give you close air support. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, there was no phone-a-friend option um, because you, you're getting jammed over there consistently. And I think that, you know, it was more about the people and, and supporting them because at the end of the day, you know, Russia was the biggest kid on the block that just wanted to uh, take away someone else's freedom. Yeah. And There's th- bullies. Yeah, they're big bullies. And I think that whether or not you believe – you know, $165 billion worth of aid is the right answer or not, is I think that the one thing we can say is that unequivocally watching Ukraine dismantle the Russian army or at least expose their weaknesses denigrated their ability to support China greatly. And if you looked at it as a blue chip stock, I would say that it's even at $165 billion has still been one of the best investments we could make, whether or not we could afford to. Because look at all the money that we've spent prepping to fight Russia since we were kids and since World War II. I mean, trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars designing our military to go up against Russia. And then to not lose indirectly, indirectly. Right. And then to not lose one single U.S. soldier while taking away their fangs. Right. And then the second order of effect being able to not I know that's not the, the objective of this podcast, but. The second order of effect was not allowing Russia and China to truly unite like the axis of evil did in both yeah. in, in World War II and even in World War I where superpowers got together and the world would look like a much different place if Hitler had not turned on right. Russia. Well, you, you said, you know, depends on the, you know, the, the political side of the aisle you're on, but I think for the most part, you're gonna have your outliers, but th- that's okay. They're 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 not our 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 main audience. The outliers that do want us to do something against Russia, they just you can absolutely argue. Did you want to spend you, you know without having your voice? Yeah, and uh, no oversight and no oversight. Spend, spend what was, was it 165 billion? I think that's the last number I heard. That that is a good that's a good argument to have. But what should be done is exactly what you guys did. Nonprofits can absolutely go over there off of donations, not with the taxpayers' uh, you know interests and and voice, and do amazing things and didn't cost the government anything. And I and I'm pretty sure we can say what your nonprofit did without taxpayer money and off of you know the donations of good Americans went much further than and more efficiently than what most taxpayer dollars would have done anyway. So I don't think anyone's going to 
going to give pushback on nonprofits going over there and put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, I think as NGOs, which is what the government term for a nonprofit is, is a uh, non-government organization. Uh, you know, NGOs can have a pretty significant impact in in what we what we did in Ukraine, what we did in Israel, which was to go over there days after the fighting started there to help evacuate American citizens. Uh, you know, we stayed over to help. We started giving uh, C and medical, uh, you know, emergency medicine classes to uh, Israeli citizens that were being rocketed every day. We were there. Yeah. Rockets were inbound. And the Iron Dome's incredible, but it's not, it's not 100%. That's right. Yeah. And if one of those, you know, Iranian-built terrorist-backed rockets lands in your kid's playground, if you can't put on a tourniquet, there's a bad day and there's not a lot of cat four tourniquets floating around in the middle of Israel. So, uh, being able to teach improvised tourniquets and improvised, you know, stop stopping blood flow and hemorrhage loss was, uh, was a real, it was a game changer there again, using special operations personnel because, you know, the ability to mission plan and infill and conduct actions on even without weapons, if just having, you know, situational awareness in that environment, um, and still being effective, uh, you know, to assist, Um, was was really a game changer there too and it was terrible to watch you know a lot of people talk about you know what happened uh, you know what's happening to Hamas and things you know one of the biggest tragedies over there was the amount of American citizens left and I'm not going to say left by this administration Um, you know I'm not going to turn it into a political argument but what hasn't been addressed is how many American citizens we wanted to help we didn't go over there just to pull out Israel, American citizens out of Israel. We were we wanted and attempted to help American citizens that were trapped in Gaza, blue passport holding Americans with babies, that that had to sit there and suffer and cower in closets because they were being hunted by Hamas just as much as anyone that's else. That's right. Well, that's that's becoming a, a reoccurring theme, unfortunately, because that's exactly what we did in Afghanistan, and it was nonprofits that that went in and rescued. Uh, whether it be American uh, citizens or uh, green card holders, and same thing in in Israel and, and Palestine, it was nonprofits that did the lion's share of the work because the American military did not want to get directly involved in either one of those incidents. And I understand that I do, um, although we do have units specifically for that that we could we could unleash. It's to, almost to, like we have to do their job, but uh, you know for political reasons, and that's what it is for political reasons. We won't do it, and uh, and that really is that that brings us to, really to the theme of this podcast is nonprofits and how they can integrate with the government, and then more specifically nonprofits. And can they or should they integrate with the government at a local and law enforcement level here in the United States? Because me and you share the same idea and vision as, you know, as, as a, in, our, in our former life, we spent a lot of times going overseas and helping basically everyone else. Uh, and now that, now that uh, our time's done, um, we want to support Americans. And that's and that's what you know. I think obviously, Dark Horse will still go over and to any humanitarian crisis. I'm I'm sure I, I can say that you with can. Uh, for you unequivocally. But uh, you guys have also turned your attention to here in the United States. Yeah, we have. I mean, what we did in Ukraine and Israel, and what as a nonprofit we want to do is using you know veterans and special operations, uh, you know retirees and veterans to respond to emergent or an extremist crisis. Could be. You know, another hurricane in the Bahamas or Puerto Rico or another fire, you know, just areas that, uh, you know, specialized 
NGO with medical and communications and planning capabilities, uh, what what you can do. It's not just war. It's not just war. Wow, uh, I didn't you know, know that. Yeah, no, we, it's, um, you know, really it's, it, it was uh, where we started was really, it was uh, helping and supporting veterans from uh, the very, very successful Operation Shut Eye, which was where um, I was doing some business consulting for Tempur-Pedic and the CEO, um, you know, he, uh, he had known a member of the British SAS, the, at the time the CEO was a Brit and wanted to, um, wanted to see what they could do to give back. And so even uh, this was several years ago um, where they made the donation with Ashley Furniture to to give one Tempur-Pedic mattress to every Green Beret, Ranger, SEAL, uh, PJ, Combat Controller, MARSOC, every single warfighter in SOCOM. The pledge was over six years to donate uh, over thirty, you know, over uh, fifteen thousand mattresses. We're a little over twelve thousand right now with with our great partner uh, Ashley Furniture to to supply, you know, just to support. And that was the largest donation I believe on record to SOCOM. At the time. And I'm aware of that because I'm also a recipient of that before right. before yep. I even went to, to work for Wait, you. You got a mattress? I got a mattress from uh, from their their program. Uh, and then as I was getting out and, and our relationship started, uh, you pushed a, a trailer load over to my squadron so I could say thanks to all my yep. former teammates with with free mattresses to the whole squadron. And that it was, was, that a, was awesome. And it was a great it's a great program. Uh, the the C the, you know the C suite executives over at Tempur Pedic and Ashley, uh, they firmly you know agreed with a very simple equation. You know if you can if you can sleep and rest better, you can train and recover. You can train harder. And you can, you know, combat more bad guys. So hard to hard to argue with that part of sleep science. Yeah. Um, and so through, uh, you know, and through the preservation of how it was of how it was approved was through the uh, POTIF program, the preservation of the force and family, is, um, you know, for better rest and recovery for operators because these guys, like as you, you know, as you know yourself, even, um, and is. You know, a lot of these mil- a lot of these guys are getting out of special operations with blown out discs and knees and neck injuries and orthopedic everywhere. TBIs, TBIs, TBIs and sleep go hand in hand. They and do. For you guys to uh, you know to put a direct dent into that with you know a better quality mattress is huge. No, it was awesome, and that really led then it led to the SOFEP, the uh, entrepreneurship program that we run at Dark Horse, where you know for operators getting out if they want to you know own a small business then. There's uh, assistance there that starts with education, then mentorship, um, and then uh, and then you know f- private equity funding. After they write a business plan, they've got a mentor to take them through that whole step of the way. Other other successful entrepreneurs that have been uh, networked together through our organization to assist on that part of training for special operations yep. and, uh, personnel. And, and I started my business a little bit before that had launched, but after it launched, that was that was you know something else that that you helped me out with. I, with with this business and, and the soft VP program, yeah, because a lot of the a lot of special operations guys they get out and you know they really don't want that nine to five typical role and uh, and special operations uh, conducted well uh, between Boston Scientific uh, conducted a core competency analysis when I was doing some consulting with them um, and of nine characteristics they said make a successful Boston Scientific medical device rep. Uh, they agreed on eight of nine will also make you a successful special operations warrior, uh, which transferred directly into being an entrepreneur. So, you know, a lot of what we started before we went into really the operational mode that we did in Ukraine and Israel and emergency response um, was there to support the veteran. And then really that's when a lot of the guys, you know, some of my you know teammates over at Velocity were like, hey, man, we'd, 
man, we still want to give back. We still want to get in the fight. We still want to, you know, we have that desire to serve and uh, we have some unique taxpayer funded capabilities, um, which lend well to an NGO because in an NGO, you have to be more efficient. You know, we, uh, you, we take, you know, you're using donated dollars and, and grant funding and such to go do good deeds. So it certainly helps if you don't have to pay for that original, we know what training costs. Yeah. I mean, the training that it takes to get a, a guy in a special operations uh, unit to be able to respond somewhere like what you did with, you know, the other nonprofit that you were with, um, to be able to respond safely and effectively to an environment like Israel or Ukraine or a hurricane natural disaster is, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per guy, which is why it's so effective to use NGOs. Right. And, and for you guys to, to use, uh, use white sites off and, and tier one operators as, as your cadre, but for you to try to replicate that type of training and experience as an NGO, you couldn't. Like could you, never you, you, you could never afford to. So for veterans who are still looking to, to give back, it's, it's just a perfect fit. They already have the experience paid by the government. They already have the training. And now their time there is done. And it's just a, it's just a, a perfect fit and into what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. It really it's is. It's kind of a catch and release. Like, I, I got you. Yep. I, I got something for you. And, and the core competencies it takes to be successful in soft and just as a veteran as a whole, right? I mean, just basic training gives you the capability to integrate with people from other back, walk, backgrounds and walks of life uh, to be able to just graduate eight or 13 weeks later, depending on what branch you go to, just moving and communicating and looking the same uh, is what makes Team Rubicon you know, successful, right? Is using veterans to respond to emergency situations. And I think, you know, for us coming out of Ukraine and Israel, going into human trafficking was an area that we thought was a great fit to exactly your point is we've spent so much time helping others in other countries and we saw so much money being spent in other countries. It almost, it, it was, it was almost a shame to watch the amount of money being spent on counter pedophile operations and human trafficking operations in other countries, uh, but not really focusing here. So we didn't, we haven't even worried about addressing it overseas because you can shake it. You can, you know, shake a stick and hit 10 NGOs working on the overseas mission. So we knew the real impact was to be done is to use us raised dollars to fight a U.S. problem right. on our soil. And people can get mad at this comment all, all they want and I'll stand by it 10 times out of 10 times. Uh, I'm not saying that American lives are more important than, than other people's lives and we shouldn't go overseas and, uh, and and help out other people. But as long as whether it's U.S. tax dollars or U.S. donations, you know, U.S. dollars and U.S. Uh, American donations being used and we have a problem in our own backyard, it should be going to our problems in our backyard first. And 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 if and once and and once we have the problem under control and we're doing great, we can look elsewhere. But until then, I don't know. We we did a podcast about this, about you know foreign aid and how many hundreds of millions and billions of dollars go oh, to yeah, you other broke countries. Down every country. Yeah, and and as an American citizen, it should make you sick. And I don't know why that's not a, a bigger a bigger point of contention with U.S. taxpayers, but. I'll keep harping on it until it until it is. <laughs> well, think, and that was really our approach: American dollars, American lives, and uh, using veterans and prior special operations personnel to jump in the fight on uh, you know counter pedophile, counter human trafficking efforts. And there's, and it's not just us. There's other great NGOs, you know, doing it. There's, uh, you know, you've got the Sentinel Group, you've got uh, E3 Ranch, and uh, uh, you know, Covenant Rescue Group, all. 
using a you know prior special operations type model for you know great great men and women giving back, and then of course you, there's weeds in every lawn, and right. so you've you've yeah. you've got some NGOs out there that uh, that aren't doing it well, right, and we'll we'll give you a chance to talk about that because I can I can I can talk to that as well uh, a little bit um, before we transition to Conus your Oconus work and you know regardless of, of where it was did you find the red tape and and trying to do your job as a non-government organization especially with all your prior knowledge and prior experience with both being in the military and working with the government through your your contracting company did you find the red tape much easier to navigate as an NGO and it was easy to do your job I think in, in both of our recent, more recent examples, I think that overseas, overseas, I think, yeah, I think it's easier um, when you're not restrained by some of the government regulations to as long as you operate within their left and right limits, which were much looser in Ukraine, obviously, because the entire nation was under attack. And, you know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Israel was much more prepared for a terrorist attack from Hamas than Ukraine was to fight the world's the third largest <laughs> army. Right. Yeah. You know, big difference a nation, a nation state attacking you versus a terrorist group. Um, and so, but in, in both instances, we were able to land, uh, sometimes getting, getting your gear and equipment, you know, getting kit, MVGs, things like that, uh, through customs was challenging because they want to make sure that they don't you're not infiltrate infiltrating as a saboteur right yeah uh, ukraine so, was very concerned about that they were uh yep seeing uh level four plates and nods coming coming through your kit bags was yeah. not something they were too excited about until you uh clearly established who you were and what right. you were, what you were going to yep. do right. and um, Wait, so they were worried about us you guys coming in and sabotaging them well they were worried about anybody that was not a ukrainian passport holder uh because there was uh, Russians, uh, their their special operations and intelligence teams were really good at, you know, you, if you were an American and you had anything that looked like a kit bag, you could pretty much guarantee you got tagged at the airport. And they knew who you were when you were coming on the Russian side. They probably knew who you were when you crossed that border, especially if you went across through Moldova. Uh, I knew we had a pretty challenging experience and got, got turned back going through Moldova because that's basically a Russian right I don't want to say puppet state because that might offend some of the listeners uh, if they have friends in Moldova but I mean they, I'm not they sure are heavily many, subsidized I'm not sure I many can check the analytics I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure many many people listening to this or anywhere can point out Moldova on a map well, that's, that's not point. me being a dick about it <laughs> yeah it's just the truth I probably couldn't if until I went over there and, and, yeah. and worked that area it's just the way it is yeah I think you're safe yeah okay good yeah it was uh so they, yeah it was interesting you know getting in uh but then once you get there, I mean, the people are so receptive uh, and appreciative. I mean, especially in Ukraine. I mean, more Americans that, you know, I think uh, America first is, to me personally, is an amazing term because we can't help others until we help ourselves. It's like the it's like the airplane thing. When the thing falls and you got to get oxygen, you have to put yours on first <laughs> right. before you can help anybody yeah. out because you're effectively right. useless. It seems so common sense. Right. Somehow it's turned into almost, you know, people have taken that as an offensive thing to say yeah. it's insane to not think you should take care of your your own country first i don't think that's a, a, a bad sentiment to have and, and it was great that when we got to poland our very first deployment i mean you look at the, the polish people thought they were next on the chopping block it's easy to make jokes about russia 
attacking now, but three weeks into that, when we showed up, Poland was sure that, and as the 82nd was showing up, I believe the 82nd was the first U.S. Uh, large division that hit Poland to uh, provide assistance if needed. And when, uh, I guess it was at the Marriott there at Warsaw at the airport, uh, let some of his friends know that there was Americans there coming to help. As an American, it was such a great feeling, uh, you know, because usually I think we get made fun of by the Europeans for probably our waist size yeah. and some of our uh, yeah. eating habits. Until they need us. Until they need us, right? <laughs> our and, clean uh, teeth and good food. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> things like that, you know. And so they showed up and they must have bought every pizza and bottle of vodka, a bottle of wine that you could find in a three-mile radius and brought it as we were loading up all of our medical gear because we brought, you know, probably $30,000 worth of IFAX and, uh, and tourniquets and things to, uh, to help because we knew yeah. what the problem set was going to be. So IFAC, individual first aid kit. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and so it was great to, um, you know, to see that, that response from them, knowing that it was, you know, that, hey, it's, it's not just American, it's not just the American military that's going to help you, but also American citizens are here to, you know, help, help Ukrainians defend freedom. And it's not a stretch to say that the American people are the most giving people in the world 100 percent. that we were over there because well, of too giving too giving right i mean uh, and i'm sure someone will say yeah you know there's there was this british nonprofit and this other nonprofit, this other and there and there were other people do the lion's share of the outside help coming to uh, of, of outside help coming to help ukraine was america yeah. kind of we like, should be proud of and that if you it's don't not, know how much you're giving go look at your pay stub and then you'll see how much you're actually giving we're kind of like nato right i mean it's American generosity leading the way again, uh, this time from a nonprofit standpoint. Also, I really want to bring that up. You know, your, your work in Ukraine because a lot of people, when they think of nonprofits, um, they think of the Red Cross uh, or the, the World Kitchen and like these and, and very important, you know, massive organizations that do amazing work. I, I saw them over there, um, but they were there in very safe areas. They were there on the border or on or on the Polish side of the border, giving clothes and food. Uh, to people, and that's needed. But I don't think people understand that there are tactical nonprofits out there as well on the front lines, uh, you know, dodging artillery fire. And if you think that's just a a uh, that that was that was a a scenario, that's it's an actual scenario. Like I'm not I'm not just pulling that times. out of the air. You were dodging artillery fire, and we were. And it, it, the only thing I can say. The American Red Cross wouldn't have got as large as they have if they hadn't done something great. Uh, I, the one thing I could say about the American Red Cross really in Ukraine was they had great coffee. Is, <laughs> is, you know, There's you know, multiple times that we'd see a, an American Red Cross checkpoint in a very safe area, right. nowhere near the fighting. Which um, is where they should be. That's not what they're there for. Yeah, there but for. It, was, it was honestly it was, uh, disconcerting to see so many social media bloggers and posters at the Polish checkpoint where it's nice and safe and they would have somebody that looked European come over and hand them some gear and take you know take some pictures and hey look we're at the front lines right. you know and <laughs> man yeah. there's so or, many of them it, it, right. you, you, or, there, there was as many NGOs taking pictures right. as there were from the news outlet but it was funny what separates the rock stars from the groupies is did you go across that border well I'll, I'll go one step further 
They may have went across the border, but they went about as far as Kiev. Lviv. I'm sorry, I meant Lviv. They went as far as Lviv. Uh, and I spent a little bit of time uh, in Lviv. You, you that was your our, first we, night in? We, we, that's right. We, we, are, our, we actually had a safe house there. Yep. And we, would, we would do our child rescue operations uh, out of Kiev, and we'd bring them, the, the children back to Lviv. And the amount of people boasting that they're in the war zone in Ukraine, uh, and because just, but not leaving out the part that you're in Lviv, Lviv was was nothing changed. Everything happened either at Kiev or in the border. Kharkiv, uh, Bakhmut, I mean, everywhere, Zaporizhia, the Donbass, Donetsk. I mean, that was when, yeah. when you met NGOs, like we, we met the, uh, the CEO of, uh, and, and his two IC, uh, we met Adam and Brian from, uh, E3 ranch. Um, you know, a former baseball pro baseball player out there doing, doing great work at the flot, not, you know, right. not back in not Lviv, safe. T- in the rear with the pictures, gear. Posting yep. on social media. I mean, and he uh, was out there working with uh, with the Ukrainian Foreign Legions. That's how we got to got to meet them and just doing and continued to do great work. I mean, that's really where we started kind of working together on some stuff with, with them, um, you know, to this day, still doing good work over there. So there you guys are working at a, a granular level uh, overseas and and you've taken that back with human trafficking here in the United States. Uh, and that's that's what we're going to get into next. It was probably a good time to take a small break and talk about our our, our good and bad uh, our good and bad here in the states. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot happening in the world of police work in the last couple of days. So <clears throat> so all right. I I'm, I'm bringing this up on the podcast now Brent cuz I'm going to get your opinion on it. All right. We talked about the toxicity of law enforcement with one of our last guests, and everybody in the comments agreed that it is super toxic. And they're like, "Yeah, call these people out." You know, all these people that are just creating a toxic work environment. And then I realize when I when I do dumbass cop of the week, I'm kind of being toxic. <laughs> and and my biggest argument okay. on that show, I was talking about people making judgments that weren't there. Now, now I know I sound like Rob O'Neill right now, but <laughs> they, you know, they weren't there. So I was like, who, you know, what makes me podcast God, and I can decide who's a dumbass and who's not. So I figured I'd start calling this segment, "What the Hell Happened." I'll take that. Because right. I was wondering where you were going with that. What the yeah. hell happened? Most All likely right. was there some dumbassery involved in this, <laughs> what we're going to talk about probably. But, you know, you like you said, people reach out into our inboxes all the time. And we talk about people and they, they contact us. They go, that was me. And you're like, oh. And then you kind of get another story. And then you start feeling for that person about what they went through. One bad decision that they made is now probably going to ruin their life or ruin their career. Um, and it wasn't an intentional they just made a bad call, whether it be training or something like that. So I figured we'd call it what the hell happened. All right. Look at us growing up right yeah. before your eyes, mat- <laughs> mat- maturing. I'm proud of you. Though there was two incidents um, <laughs> this week. I'm going to start off in Houston, Texas. All right. Two, not that this matters, but just so people know what I'm talking about, because they've probably seen the videos. Two female deputies show up to what they think is a burglary in progress. It comes out as a burglary in progress. All right. They go guns out. They walk up to a second-story apartment up the stairs. They're both their body cams are rolling. Um, they see a broken window. Okay, now they're they're going to in their head burglary in progress. Somebody comes to the door with a gun. 
These two officers open fire. I mean, they dump probably like 45 rounds into this window. They strike the woman with the gun five times or six times in the leg and in the torso. The woman survives. Turns out the homeowner got home. They locked themselves out. She was with a friend. They locked themselves out. They broke their own window and then came to the door with a gun. Now, this is the perfect example to talk about qualified immunity. Because this is why cops have qualified immunity. Whether or not you think these two cops shouldn't have opened fire, they saw a threat, they took action. We're not talking about that. But if it was determined that they were legally okay, qualified immunity prevents them from being sued like a motherfucker from the homeowners. The homeowners can sue the state, the department, whatever, but it keeps these officers personally out of it for liability reasons. Man, that's a tough one. Because as as I go back and forth in my mind, and uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll attempt to get ahead of some of the comments here, is they're going to say, well, why didn't they announce? If they if they would have announced, she probably wouldn't have come to the to the window with a gun. However, if you're on the other side of a window and you can't see in, and you believe there's a suspect on the other side of there, you know, surprise. And, you know, and cover is is what you have going for you and announcing t- takes that away. So I, I don't necessarily know the right answer on this. Oh, well, what, I'll tell you what we do in my agency I work for. What we would have um, we would have went to the residence, determined that there's nobody innocent inside. And if we think that there's somebody inside that just broke in, you surround it blacked out until everybody's ready you light it up you get the bird of the ear and you start making announcements right they're they're inside it's property there's no 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 one's life's at risk you call them out they come out with their hands up and you take them into custody you said they probably moved move too fast rather than but that's when you're when you're a street cop man you're in the your tunnel vision you're in there you're it that's your job is to go stop those people yeah Um, i know that's that's a tough one what the hell happened um (laughs) <laughs> so that's yeah. that's the question you know if, if any of these cops those two female cops see this want to reach out and give us their side of the story we'll have them on the other one's a little more a little more cut and dry <laughs> the acorn incident <laughs> we can't you, there's no getting ahead of this this has been memed within 48 hours <laughs> the craziest <laughs> most funniest memes no one died in it uh, i believe uh, this happened in a county in florida oka oka Hulusa, i don't know and we're back to florida <laughs> and uh, deputy handcuffs, arrests a guy, detains him, handcuffs and puts him in the back of the car. Most of the video clips start with the guys in the car, the cops walking by his own car with bad guy in it. And then all of a sudden he fucking Hondo rolls and just starts dumping his, dumping his gun into the car. And if, without any context, you're like, what the hell's going on? Uh, I guess they did a mini investigation at the scene to determine that an acorn had fallen from the tree onto the car and made a sound like that. And this guy, maybe he, again, you don't know. I don't know if he's a combat vet. If that sent him, it maybe he's not right for law enforcement, and that sent him into a, a PTSD frenzy, and he just unloaded into this car. I believe he struck the guy once, but the guy's okay. He's going to live. Well, I hope he gets reprimanded for poor marksmanship right off the bat. Um, the other problem I have, again, a little more cut and dry. Uh, this I, I know people don't always like to, to hear me make parallels between special operations and law enforcement because there is a lot of things that are different job there's a lot of things that are the same job for instance uh when i detain someone and uh, i handcuff them and we search them and we search them thoroughly 
and once we put them in in the vehicle, I could hear gunfire, and the first thing I'm not going to do is turn around and shoot the guy that I just searched and handcuffed because he's 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 off my list. So I'm going to look everywhere else first. That's that's just me. Maybe I'm being too well. That and you know <laughs> I don't know about overseas in the special operations world, but. Uh, here in the states, you put handcuffs on somebody; they're yours now. Their safety is on you. you there's, can, a, there's another parallel. You know. I can't go shooting people in handcuffs either. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> the comments always kill me about, "Well, I can't just go in and murder everyone." Neither can I. <laughs> Stop saying that. The comments. Also, target acquisition is probably you know <laughs> a parallel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. He he still has to to as as a law enforcement officer or me as a member of the military you have to identify what you're shooting at before before you he did he he, he was identified a tahoe and he shot at it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about something a little more a little, a little more positive and uh and this one uh with on the heels of those two, I actually now wish I'd have picked something more positive that was specifically police related uh, to, to counter these two instances, but it's not. But it's it's recent and it's something I love to show and talk about because there's one thing I hate more than anything else. Uh, I complain to you about this all the time is when we have these incidents uh, and these whether it be the good cop or bad cop, and you see these bystanders sitting around filming it. What they could be doing is is helping out the situation. You're uh, and and no one no one does well. The Kansas City Chiefs were having their Super Bowl um, party, and a uh, a pair of gunmen open up and I believe kill eight people. Well, one of the suspects that got apprehended were apprehended by citizens. The old citizens arrest. So good cop of the week goes to the citizens of Kansas City. Good job of seeing something and helping out and detaining that guy until cops uh could get there yeah and i there's a i always talk about being a wolf amongst sheep um a sheepdog has its place a sheepdog and i'm not saying all cops are sheepdogs but that's a mentality thing a sheepdog is going to stand around dressed as a cop protecting the flock that's from wolves right a wolf among sheep is going to go see a wolf and go attack that wolf that's my opinion that's what the my whole apparel company is based off of is just a mindset uh sometimes the guys that are in the roles to protect and sometimes kill aren't maybe in the right mindset and sometimes it's the guys out there enjoying a fucking football game that are in the right mindset and and it was a and it was the perfect situation and what i mean by that is you had as far as I understand it, two suspects, but you had hundreds and hundreds of people in in an area. So the good people of the city could have easily overwhelmed this this one suspect. And even though a ton of sheep were running away, they still had the numbers and a few guys said, you know what, we we can we can take care of this. They said send it. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good job. Maybe that's why your city's Super Bowl champions. And of course, and San Kel- Francisco's not. Kel- <laughs> Kel- well, did you see that the Kelsey, the guy that's dating Taylor Swift, went on record and said that it's a gun control problem already, right out the gate. I knew I, I can't believe I knew I didn't like that guy. Yeah, can't believe can't believe Mr. Swift would say something like that coming from the guy who's probably going to take her name. That'll that that'll be a short. Um, Rob. We'll tag him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's 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 get back to you. And 
and pick up where I left off. That's one of the reasons I asked that question about what was the red tape like as an NGO working overseas? Uh, how difficult was that? Once you started to turn your attention to you know, to to a CONUS problem, as was that was that drastically different, or because of your background of already working uh, within the American government, like you you just knew that you're going to have to be above board and, and go through a whole bunch of things and got ahead of that, or what was that? What was that process like starting to work here, CONUS? But, yeah, I think that's the most challenging part is doing it the right way here conus is there's you know the like the groups i mentioned before you know sentinel you know e3 ranch uh covenant um doing it the right way working with law enforcement uh not doing it like our who works which is why they're on so many numerous criminal indictments right now what's OUR? you uh, i think you said operation it. underground railroad okay um who they made that movie uh the movie sound, uh, of, sound freedom, of freedom yeah. which uh which is a great movie to bring awareness to the cause. Um, I mean, I not calling the guy out. Uh, well, maybe I am a little bit. I, there was no witnesses to in the movie. Uh, you know, he single handedly invades. Here we go again. A you know Colombian, what could be the FARC or some you know uh, terrorist type organization. Uh, you know, goes in the in, deep in the jungle by himself, unarmed. And somehow kills with his bare hands the leader of this criminal organization, rescues the girl, and then somehow exfils by stealing a boat and miraculously outrunning the bad guys that had AK-47s, um, you know, in now, a boat just, chase. Is that just the movie version? Is that is that also what, what he claims that's what he happened? That's what he portrays, is okay. that he single-handedly, by himself... Uh, and you know, I, I you know, I have no doubt that his training in law enforcement fully prepared him to make a wildly successful spe- special operations commando raid, alone <laughs> and unafraid. Um, but the movie did bring great awareness to, I think, of all of the things they've done. The one thing they did is they made a great movie that you know brought to light a and you I know, agree a, with that a terrible uh, uh, situation we're in right now with human trafficking and. Uh, and that comes in many forms, obviously. I mean, one of the ones we probably focus on the most, obviously, is sex trafficking out of it. Out of it. But, um, you know, that's an example of them. Uh, I'd say, oh, you are an exodus, right? Uh, that's They're in the news right now with their CEO, um, you know, Ms. Rivera, uh, who is in, behind bars right now in Utah with, you know, bail denied as, you know, the chairman of a, uh, of a nonprofit. Uh, you know, spending money on on cars and houses, and you know, uh, uh, this check is fraud. Exodus or BLM? Uh, it's, that's true. That's true. Actually, it, it could <laughs> be both. It's both. I, I didn't want you to hop in between nonprofits. No, that's a, it's a good okay. point. It's a good good way to differentiate, okay. right? Is uh, but yeah, uh, you know, the CEO of Exodus, the founder of Exodus, uh, as an NGO, um, you know, caught for every type of fraud on the planet, you know, and. Claiming to donors, they raised $1.6 million, I think, in in, in the last three or four years. Uh, claiming to donors that she was a an RN, a nurse, practitioner, and a doctor at some point, depending on who she... And uh, under on, on a classified FBI operations when somebody tried to check her credit score. Um, you know, those are, you know, and, and fooled, you know, unfortunately, some pretty high-end law enforcement agencies into believing her story. And, you know, those are examples of what an NGO should not do and how an NGO shouldn't interact with law enforcement. 
in America on U.S. soil because we have freedoms and, you know, that the law enforcement is there to protect and the laws are there to protect our citizens from being arrested without due process, you know, without, uh, you know, all the rights that we, I feel most Americans take for granted, but those rights protect, unfortunately, criminals yeah. and the innocent alike. But if you don't work within the framework of the law, then you end up right where OUR and Exodus are at. Well, you guys have already you're already operational. I've done some things. We'll we'll talk about that next. I um and I'll, this is also a, a question for you, although you can't speak for all law enforcement, um, but I'll ask you too. The I think the problem that you know you, you're going to run into, and uh, right, right off of this theme of you know how or should nonprofits integrate with law enforcement, uh, you know, within America, and you're. Part of the problem is going to be certain law enforcement agencies are immediately going to give pushback and say, we got this. We don't need your help. We don't want your help. We we got this. Do What what do you think, you know, if you had a, a nonprofit, you know, coming into your area saying, hey, we're, we're, we're here to help you out. What's I don't know. What's 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 your thought on that? I know everything in law enforcement is political, whether it be administration from the county or city or in the ranks of I'm trying to move up. So the the average, I don't want to say the average, the real cop would be like, hell to the yes. Why don't we have these guys integrated in every department? We want, we want to stop this stuff. There's people above them that now have to worry about, well, is this my idea? Because if it's not my <laughs> idea, how's it going to help me? And yeah. they're not cops. They're, they're many politicians. They're right. calling that all yep. the time. Um, but, you know, it's the same thing. You... I'm not saying you have a bad experience, but you uh, kind of integrate as a civilian with your experience into law enforcement. And, you know, there's times where they either can't or they won't or they they just can't in enough time to adopt what you're bringing. Yeah, because it, that's it is true. A no, I, I do get the same on, on a very small scale, but the same pushback at at times saying, hey, uh, what what uh, what can it what? Could or should a Delta Force operator bring bring to law enforcement with tactics? And you know, there's, it's such a different job. And I, my pushback is all the time. It's it's actually not that much of a different job. And the people who say that don't understand what the Delta Force does, you know, honestly. And so, because they don't know what military does, the easy answer is just to say, "Well, you you you're not like us. How, how can you help?" And the truth is, and I've said it before, well, I don't know. I can go down a list. Marksmanship, pistol work, rifle work, barricaded shooter, uh, car extrication, vehicle interdiction, shield work, CQB, deliberate clearing, I don't, uh, explosive breach, mechanical breach. I can go on and on. All those things yeah, seems, like some, seems like the exact thing that tactical units also what, employ. What what? What was the Delta? I mean, we'll get back to what we're talking about. But what was a Delta? If you had to pick one thing that the Delta Force was created for, what was it created for? Hostage rescue. And what is the one thing that SWAT has to prepare for all the time that they are needed for the most? Hostage rescue and high value targets. Whoa. I should say hostage rescue and high value targets. It is it is it is so similar. You know, it, uh, on the surface level, it's not even funny. Yes, we can get into the weeds of where they start to part ways, and that's when I go in and I do my training. I say, hey, this doesn't apply unequivocally to everything you do uh take what you can leave you know and, and leave what what you can't take anyway i i, I digress well no and, and to your point that's why i think this podcast is so applicable right because you've got law enforcement 
and Priorsoft, and you know we're all involved in the NGO uh, space of trying to still do more. Uh, you know, and obviously as an NGO doing more with less. And, um, and, and I think by and large, almost all the, all the law enforcement officers we've worked with and the deputies have all been overwhelmingly supportive of what, well, I was about to get to, uh, (laughs) but again, there are weeds, outliers, (laughs) there's weeds in every lawn and, you know, uh, uh, you know, we ran into one of them on a, on a, on a recent operation that it was more about. Ah, and a successful just, operation. It's a good thing. How many? How many? It was, it was how many amazing, people did right? you say? We had uh, in, in one night. We had uh, we had three three arrests that led to three one hundred percent full confessions by the suspects that they were there to have sex with a fourteen year old girl. Um, you know, and and after a successful night with all of the supporting officers and deputies of a multi jurisdictional operational operation. All of them that went to the mission brief fully understood everything, including the contingency slides that were briefed. Um, but there was one lieutenant that uh, didn't make the brief, but ironically still had something to say um, after what we thought was a, a very successful night out. Um, you know, and with two predators, two two pedophiles. Now predators, get, yeah, predators. predators what they are. Yeah. Uh, locked in to show up at 10 a.m. and at 12 for a date with Dark Horse. Um, they uh, this this lieutenant convinced the chief that because we blew our window, we missed our end of mission window by 15 minutes the night prior. I mean, these officers and deputies volunteered their time. A lot of them were doing it off duty because of the support network. The way that we were going about our mission that night took a lot of folks. Um, more than you know, it was in it, it was the dark horse team and law enforcement. Um, and uh, I guess it was a little late, you know, it was, it was after midnight, but we we broke when we said mission index for the evening would be by 15 minutes. Oh, for a small, unfortunate reason that we had suspect number three in handcuffs being processed. Sorry, we ran a little late. There's right. a thing There's called variables in here. Yeah, I mean, it's right. called like Miranda and due process, you know, things that you would expect. <laughs> Might take a little bit of time, <laughs> yeah, maybe you know, you would expect a lieutenant. Right. Uh, well, you know, I mean, a lieutenant in his organization, I mean, he did just he did just lose a nearby sheriff election to a real officer, a real sheriff. Um, maybe and, reasons like this. Maybe may, reasons may, like this could be it, like because it. maybe the community in that county uh, saw through yeah. this, uh, you know, sheep and sheep's clothing. I don't, I don't even I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if sheep is is fair to sheep <laughs> to say <laughs> this about him. But yeah. um yeah, so the next morning we just get a uh, a text, you know, in the chat group. Wouldn't even take a phone call, uh, canceling day two of our mission. And uh, and because we were we did two things. We did a vehicle takedown, uh, which was briefed in the contingency slide. You know, yep. MDMP like the back of your hand. Uh, yep. We military decision making process. Yep, yep. Is uh, is that according to all of our steps in the course of action and our contingencies for what could go right, right. what could go wrong. Because nothing goes as planned. Nothing goes as planned. There's always a variable. And um, and the you know the other reason was that we he thought that we did a, uh, because we Rolexed to a vehicle takedown versus the primary method of what we wanted to do, uh, you're trying not to say too much to yep. give away more than Chris Hansen these days. <laughs> you know, that guy, you used to have another podcast on what he's done to deter 
good law enforcement against pedophiles just to make a buck. But I think that yeah, we're um, all about calling people out. <laughs> yeah, you should get him on the show and ask him, ask him why he had, you know, why why he thought that was such a good idea to give away law enforcement's greatest tricks. Yeah, uh, basically a handbook for pedophiles. Um, and so, uh, but besides him, this lieutenant uh, the next day he he got the chief's ear. Who, by the way, the chief wasn't a part of the mission brief either. Um, and uh, you know, believe this lieutenant who has some friends in pretty high places over at the city hall of this small town. And was able to get the operation canceled, and and it it pissed off every single one of the the officers and deputies and the sheriff that oh, was yeah. involved. Right, that gave up their time to work an eighteen hour day prior and a fourteen hour day prior to that, just mission planning, make sure everything went great. That because this guy, because the mission is so important, you know, to some, right? You would think, you would think, uh, but yes, to uh, to this this lieutenant, not so much. So I would love when it's not an ongoing discussion and things you know i'd love to you know to, I'd, I'd love to confront him and just ask him hey man uh what were you thinking i mean did you have to drop the kids off the next morning like you know there were so many other guys that could have participated to and this is a small town so to answer your question back on larger agencies have a lot of resources they have icacs they have a lot of human traffic funding and grants smaller agencies don't and there's just as there's by percentage there's as many pedophiles and predators why wouldn't they be there if that's, right. that's a that's the safe that's spot, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where they're, they operate. They're, they're, those wolves are are laying right. in laying in wait. And I can tell you some stats, you know, because uh, I don't, I don't talk about it a lot. And I won't go into detail about it here. About you know what what I do for for nonprofits and and anti child trafficking. It's not just the two pedophiles that got away. And you'll think, well, it's it's two pedophiles. Yes, they're horrible, but you think you think the number two is being a low number. The average pedophile will touch. 20 to 30 kids in their life. So you basically, if they continue to go unapprehended, that's 40 to 60 kids that are going to have to deal with the most horrific thing I could imagine my kid ever having to deal with. And and that's so it's not two people. It's the 40 to 60 innocent kids down the road that that perpetrator will will continue to molest. Which is the feeding mechanism for human trafficking, right? Is the majority of women that we interact with that are become trafficked. They didn't just wake up one day, they had a bad grade on a geometry test and decided coming out of high school they wanted to be a prostitute. It typically starts with OnlyFans. <laughs> Sorry. What was <laughs> Is that not where you're going with it? <laughs> no. no, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's they, true. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they. You know, they they didn't decide that that's what they wanted to do. Uh, is that typically a member of their family or somebody they don't know or just some other male, you know, committed a sexual act? Correct. And usually, and, it's just like you said. The the six will also tell you it's usually someone you know, a family yep. member or a close friend of the family. Yeah, you gotta have. It. Yep, you have to have access and placement. That's right. And so they. And so that's what bothered me so much about this this decision to cancel that operation was because uh, like you, I don't think about just the number two. It was the, once you get, once you do your seven, eight, 10 years in prison, you get out and for the rest of your life, you're on the, you're on the sex predator watch list. Everybody knows to keep their kids away from you. There's no more access and placement to minors because now, especially in a small town, everybody knows, Hey man, dude, you did your time. That's fine. You can get your job, you know, at Walmart or something like that or wherever you're going to work at, but you're not going to be around my kids. So what that Lieutenant did 
was he took away that next parents because there will be a next victim Absolutely. by both of those. You don't wake up and yeah. decide one day you're going to get on a chat group and right. you're going to single out a minor. Right. The things that I know that those, those two men wanted to do to a 14-year-old girl were vile. Right. They, were, they were far more advanced than you would ever think somebody would, would text. So their, their future victims are the ones that that lieutenant robbed those parents and those family members of defense from. I, I would hate to think that, I, I mean, imagine what that would do if that was anybody we know's daughter in the future. Right. Because those, those two, unfortunately, we don't have all of the information uh, you know, to go after these suspects, so we'll never know. And that was that. So that is, unfortunately, that was uh, that was one one bad response. But then the, the sheriff, ironically, the sheriff that Lieutenant X lost to, that next morning, I called him mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, sir, this is Rob from Dark Horse. We still have our team on site. You got the same information I got." And he was as mad as every other officer in this department. That had they not had families to pay for, probably would have turned in their badges. He was as mad as we were, and he said, hey, you guys come on over here to my county, and we'll have this thing stood up in 45 minutes to an hour. And we did. And that night, we got we got our fourth arrest that night, because that sheriff, nice. who did after right beating yeah. the lieutenant's ass <laughs> in an election... Uh, had the wherewithal and and the and the you know the backbone to say hey let's do it man we're doing we're doing great work uh, let's continue mission well I, I know this uh, is is hot off the press so to speak for for you uh, this this operation and this going down which is why we're not mentioning the lieutenant's name because there's there's more that has to come uh, about this but when the dust settles on this. We will have you back on, and we will put out his name. Do you, It'd be great. Do you want everybody that's listening to this to avoid putting his name in the comments once they hear this? Well, we can ask them. I guess not that's to. outside of, of <laughs> yeah. Outside of your control. I mean, that's nothing I can control, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and 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 you know, and if it wasn't true, I wouldn't say it, knowing that there are so many viewers and attendees to this podcast that you know, there's always the uh, the armchair quarterback, and so. You know, I made, I mean, since I was there and was on, uh, you know, on comms with this decision that was driven by this lieutenant who even in the, and he wouldn't even give us, wouldn't even allow a phone call. And the that chief of, like and the chief of police. Well, because it, 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 it's showing his guilt. And, and for the chief there's of police. There's no way he can to, confront you about it. To make a unilateral decision that affected, as you've just stated, and what you stated was a statistic that I've heard is on the low side. Right, twenty to thirty women over their lifetime of predators. One of the one of the arrests, which is public knowledge now, was a seventy-year-old man. Seventy-year-old man come and have sex with a fourteen-year-old girl, who was ironically the city planner, in a town nearby, who oh, wow. by the way has an opening now for new city yeah. planners. <laughs> Good, uh, they're taking applications. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and this, you know, this over how many women. How many minors, how many children has right. this has 70 year old man time. Yep. taken advantage of in his lifetime? So, to be honest, with you, I don't want to think about it. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's disgusting. disturbing. Yes. Me and Brent talk about this sometimes, and we're both kind of like, eh, because we have our opinions based off of our experience. So, we're a little biased. Trafficked prostitutes. Um, in my line of work, I come in, to the, in contact with them a lot. And one of the first questions we ask them before there's any type of criminal investigation are you being trafficked? Um, 
I went to training provided by the state police here uh, that was introduced by a high-level admin guy. And, you know, there's like 200 of us in the class. And the speaker was a blue-haired, overweight woman who naturally, a lot of people like to tell cops what to do and how to do it. Uh, and she was pretty much the entire time saying that you guys need to do your jobs differently because I was a victim. So we're like, okay, we're all listening. And she talked about how not only once, not only twice, three times she fell for a man that trafficked her. And I'm like, I get it once. I get it maybe twice. But three times, if you're three times she fell in love with somebody that in turn trafficked her. Um, and at some point, I just like to think that maybe there's some kind of personal responsibility to that. If it's past one one act or maybe two but three it seems like there would be and i'm not saying anything bad because i know that's a, a sensitive topic but of the women that we've run into i would say uh of you know independent versus trafficked uh or pimped prostitutes um i can't imagine and falling for the same same logic three times and saying that you're a trafficked to think that i mean sometimes it that may just be politically or advantageous. It might be advantageous for her to say that she was a victim three times. Um, I mean, there, there's got to be some personal responsibility to this. Because we talk about the, what is it, the recidivism? I can't say that. Recidivist. Recidivism. Yeah. Uh, recidivism. The, I mean, and I get yep. it. it and sometimes, I'm not saying they aren't victims because they go back to the lifestyle because the lifestyle is easy. The, me, the lifestyle they know when we take them out, law enforcement or you know an organization like yours, when they take them out, they remove them from almost essentially their life, and they relocate them. They give them, and that's hard to do. And to get through that as a victim, you have to really want it. And I feel like sometimes they just go right back to where they were. Yeah, I think three would be would be tough. From what we're seeing, uh, you know, and there's a uh, again, there's you know some other NGOs we work with that have been doing it even longer than we have at Dark Horse. Uh, Three, it seems like would be a decision. I'm, I, I mean, I feel like it's sort of. An, I don't really get to vote because I've never been trafficked. But I would say that's the great thing about law enforcement right now is really taking it. They're, they're at, by your by saying that the first question you ask is, "Are you being trafficked?" That right there shows that law enforcement's taking the right steps because there is a difference, I believe, between the independent prostitute who is making her living uh, how she wants to do it, and maybe, the world's oldest occupation, in the world's oldest occupation, and I'm not here. Uh, to judge, but I would say the ones being trafficked that are being, I mean, there's women that we've, that we've interviewed with, uh, in accordance with law enforcement SOPs, uh, you know, our guys on staff that conduct these operations are, are law enforcement professionals. We're on official, you know, sanctioned missions, which is the way to do these things the right way, right? Not do it the OUR way, which is where he literally told a member of the attorney general staff that I can do more without a badge than you can with, with one, uh, shocker why they're being criminally investigated now. Is that when you work with law enforcement... Poking the bear. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I just don't yeah. even know why you, know, you would say that. Yeah. Even if you felt that way, why would you, you ever say, say that? Yeah. Is, and that is the great thing about law Like, we're able to do the, some of the things administratively that a smaller agency can't do, which is a great application of an NGO's resources and time and expertise that a lot of these agencies that don't have the assistance uh, can't do it. And But when we... Back to your question, when we meet these women and you ask them, hey, you know... Within three to five questions, you can figure out um, if they're being trafficked or if they're independent. If they're independent, we just give them our information. Hey, you know, and ask them. Hey, could you let us know if if you see other women 
you know, in this case. And, and it's unfortunate that a woman that's an independent prostitute probably got there because of pedophiles. Yeah. I would say by and large, yeah. again, they don't fail a geometry test and wake up one day saying, I want to be a prostitute, you know, is that they're what's right and what's wrong emotionally right. has been adjusted. Some, yeah, something's gone awry as in a their minor. Life. So yeah. to me, attacking, which is why at Dark Horse we try to spend time on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, that we know that the root cause, and if you do a basic root cause analysis, the root cause of how you, a lot of these people end up in human trafficking, being sex trafficked, is because of a, an intercourse or inter, interaction with a pedophile. Um, which was what was so heartbreaking for that lieutenant to make the decision he did of unilaterally taking away the defenses from those parents in that community that pay yeah. his salary. That's right. To over ego prevent twenty to thirty parents by these two predators. Uh, it was insane. So, um, you know, but the women that are being trafficked, when uh, when we we interview and talk with them, um, you know, it's the the most important part I think of what we do at Dark Horse. It's not hard to make the save. It's you know, making the rescue is not the difficult part. It's the re, it's the the rehabilitation aftercare. on the back backside. Yeah. You know, Brent helped us helped us put a lot of it together. He helped me um, design a lot of our our plans on the backside of the logistics piece for a two year, you know, first addiction counseling because a lot of these pimps and what makes this it's so sickening. I've talked to women that said they had to turn a certain amount of tricks before they were allowed to eat that day. These gorilla pimps, like gorilla pimp, is a real term. It's a pimp that he is very forceful. He's very demanding. They keep a very tight leash on the girls in their control. And their power is is food. It's drugs. They get them hooked yeah. on meth and heroin. Um, you know. And then at the end, what's the most disgusting statistic is that a lot of times they'll give these girls, at the end of their useful life, as a revenue-bearing asset, then they'll give them a hot load of whatever their, their drug is. They've got them addicted. And so they commit suicide. And it's not tracked as a as a homicide, and wow. so uh, you know because at the end of five six years on heroin or methamphetamines or whatever that's you know you're not on the A team anymore. You're not on the A team. No. Yeah. Yep. You're, yep. You're you're on the B squad, and uh, you know your 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 teeth are missing, your your cheeks are whole, yeah. you know, sunken in, and you know he can't get top revenue, so he's not going to give up an apartment slot to you anymore right. and, yeah. and pay for your care and feeding right. um, if you're going to take up take up team spots on the team that he can make more money on. And now that there's been legislation, there's been, you know, the capability now for prostitutes and trafficking victims to go back and get money from their prior trafficker. Now there's legislation being put in place for that. It's better to just essentially murder your former staff, if you will, uh, than let them come back to you later for back taxes on employment. Well, Well, it sounds like you're doing it right. And and as as I knew you would, since I've known you for a, a long time now. Um, so, and why it's so important for these other nonprofits to do it right, because when other nonprofits do it wrong, it's going to impede your ability to, to come in, uh, and do things right because they're the narrative of someone else doing it wrong is going to, you know, to, to shadow your efforts. You've talked about, uh, OUR, um, and I'm going to talk about them a little bit more. They, I, I believe like a lot of nonprofits, they started out with the right intentions and, and doing things right. And I'm sure they've done a lot of good things. I'm sure they have. But at some point, when you become so big, and this is what I do know about them, that you just become basically a 
a fundraising entity, which is what they are now. They raise, and, and I'll let you give these stats because I know that you're, this is in your wheelhouse. They raise millions and tens of millions of dollars, um, and they've really become more of a business to, to raise money, and then they just have to go out there and prove that they've done something so they can go out here and pray that in front of their donors and, and continue this massive revenue that they have coming in. And I believe they've lost their way. And once that starts to happen, and I will tell you, I won't just talk in generalities, I'll tell you specific incidents. For instance, uh, there is a, a long, long, um, well-planned operation that was going to take down several pedophiles in a whole ring simultaneously. They had been working on this for a, a long time. And when it came time to do the action, OUR shows up day of, wasn't wasn't part of, of anything, shows up day of with a camera crew and basically threw their guys in there for photograph opportunities, took pictures of it, took credit of it as if it was their operation, paraded it to donors and said, look what we did. And they basically just showed up for a photo opportunity and took the credit of, of a nonprofit that was doing it right i have a big problem with that i have a big problem with that and i can tell a few more stories but we're already over an hour but that's i don't know how much more you need to hear about what they've turned into well, well uh, OUR is uh i think like a a military-based nonprofit that has become massive and was in the news for having you know two hundred thousand dollar parties and annual retreats i think a lot of a lot of what you want to look at uh, when you're looking at NGOs, is I mean, is there a CEO that makes two hundred thousand dollars a year that that money's not going to the mission? I mean, are there are there full timers? Are they grossly overpaid? I mean, it, 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 yeah, everybody has a mortgage. Yeah. Um, everybody should be you know compensated fairly for what they do, and so that's why you have to raise money as a nonprofit to pay people fairly. Right. But I think there's a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse that occurs at that level. And I would like to point out too that OUR now, I believe, and I'm sure some of the listeners. Uh, in the comments will uh, roast us both, but I believe Tim Ballard is not officially part of OUR now. I think he's been—he's either stepped down or been forced to step down as the chairman, um, you know, of their board, and I believe is maybe operating independently now. I knew that uh, after you know Attorney General Sean Reyes is who endorsed the Dark Horse program because he's a very passionate individual and he's facing some you know issues of his own by his association with Tim Ballard. And I'll go on the record for stating I think he's a great guy. He uh, he trusted Tim Ballard and his is in what he was doing, and he he wanted to help do the right thing, and so uh, A. G. Reyes, you know, did uh, you know endorse him and went on some of his his missions. He traveled outside of the United States with him and such. Um, and OUR, I think, just lost their way. I think that that's when they started doing things, uh, you know, to appease their donor base. But you're right, back to statistics, it was either 46 or 44 or $48 million they brought in. You can see it on their Form 990s, uh, that they brought in over $40 million last year. And, uh, you know, and they say on their website, they don't do U.S. operations. I think that, it, how did they get, I mean, and it is incredible. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a needed mission to go overseas and care about, other children, um, you know, and to fight that, there's lots of nonprofits that focus their efforts overseas. Me personally, you know, we wanted to focus on American children yeah. and American women and victims, but uh, you know, there's a reason that they had to go overseas and do it, and it's because they got chased out of the U.S. by the attorney by by Utah law enforcement, essentially, that said, "Hey, you know, when he made his comment about I can do more without a badge than you yeah. can with one." 
kind of a bullseye on your back. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it speaks volumes. Uh, I people can can have different opinions on this, and, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with a CEO uh, taking in uh, a wage if they're doing a full time job. Yep. I I think we can all agree two hundred thousand dollars is is a lot of money for someone who's supposed to be in this for the right reasons. You can't start a nonprofit to to get rich. Two hundred thousand dollars is just a lot. Uh, and I do know some of your donors, and you have some you have some heavy hitters in in, in your donors. How much you make, Rob? Zero. You don't Zero. make a penny. No. Wow. I think I just, I just I just think that says a lot. And 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 I would say too is probably why we're sometimes a little slower, you know, to do things. I mean, I have a day job at Velocity, so I'm yeah. fortunate. I think that you're right. There should be a CEO and a gr- organization grows to a certain size, uh, and that is our hope at Dark Horse is to raise the funds uh, for me to hand it off. To a you know to see to somebody to do the job um, and be compensated for it because it's they can put full time attention to it um, and uh, me personally starting dark horse you know uh, f- you know for uh, per- you know personal reasons of wanting to give back um, I just didn't ever want to get compensated for it but if I ever did you know take a full time slot for it it certainly wouldn't be two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> right uh, and I probably put in full time. You know, I think I probably log 40 hours a week, uh, if not on average, uh, for Dark Horse now. But, you know, again, I agree with you, you know, that that there needs to be somebody to run it full time, you know, for a nonprofit to be effective, especially in what we're doing now, staying within the left and right limits of U.S. law enforcement. I mean, because overseas, you can buy an entire law enforcement agency for one hundred thousand dollars. So, <laughs> you know, you, you know, but their citizens don't have the same level of protection that our do ours do. And, you know, so to do things the right way, uh you know, you probably you have to have somebody running it full time. Well, Rob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. Come here, telling your story, uh, talking about you know everything. Yeah, I think awareness uh, awareness is usually something. Uh, just to be honest with you, I, people throw around it a lot. I'm like, well, what does awareness get you? Do something about it. This is something where I don't think people know what's happening in their in their own backyards, and knowing about it actually can have an effect rather than just turning a blind eye. And so you're both bringing awareness to it and going out there, putting your money where your mouth is and going on operations and stopping what I think is the most vile of our society, pedophiles. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anybody that wants to participate or be involved or donate, donate, where's the best avenue for them to go? Uh, Our social media, our Instagram is darkhorse.benefits, and then our website is darkhorsebenefits.com. Please go there. And then uh, we have a friend who is in Montana. He's going to be currently unemployed here soon. His name is Rob O'Neill, and he was wondering if you would hire him. (laughs) (laughs) He can do some great PR stuff for you. He can do some solo I'm sure that, solo I'm rescues sure. and raids and then write a book yeah, about Tim it. Tim Bauer's got nothing on Robin <laughs> Neal and his solo stuff. <laughs> he has a great Rolodex. <laughs> yes, yeah. 